Welcome back, everybody, to episode number eight of the Untangling Election 2021 podcast, your weekly podcast keeping track of the 2021 Canadian federal election. This time, it's our weekly week in review and preview episode, which really needs a catchier name and title. Here, we look at the main headlines from the week that was and explore the week that will be in this election cycle. So this week was not particularly loud. There were some French non-official debates. The Liberals released their platform to surprisingly little fanfare. And the NDPs continued on their mission to make affordability and housing the key issues in this election. But next week, we have the only two official debates of this election coming up. What do we think will happen in those? Who will win these debates? Let's talk about this today. So joining me today, we have a cast of people you might know already. First off, we have Sav. Sav, tell us about yourself. Hello. So my name is Sav. I am a fourth year student at the University of Waterloo, studying political science with a specialization in Canadian politics. And I'm minoring in gender and social justice. I grew up in a household that typically voted liberal, and that has typically been my political leaning. But I have also been volunteering for the Green Party during Anime Paul's campaign in Toronto Centre. So those are, those are some of my political biases. Yeah, and you might recognize Sav from our, I think, third episode that we did in the NDP platform, which I think we came up pretty well. I, technically, it holds the record for most views, so... Maybe it's you, Sav. Maybe. <laughs> it is me. It is me. It is fact. It is me. <laughs> well, bringing up our least listened to person, Kevin, tell us about yourself. <laughs> I'm the least listened to? <laughs> I no don't know. All Try right. Not. All right. Uh, hi, hi, guys. My name is Kevin. I am a graduate of the University of Waterloo's Accounting and Financial Management Program. And during my time in university, I was also a member of the Young Liberals organization on campus. So I do know quite a and I've followed politics most of my life. So I've, I do know uh, quite a bit about it. Um, as for my political leanings, I've I'm kind of like a swing voter this time between liberal and conservative and this time um which is quite unusual for me because usually i vote for the liberals but and for as for my family they've all typically been swingy voters and i live kind of in a swing district so i guess i'm quite an important voter this time around (laughs) is your writing technically sorry but is your writing technically richmond hill aurora oak ridges or are you a richmond it's uh, king vaughn it's king vaughn okay gotcha and that the incumbent's uh liberal right it, she is. She yeah. she got in by like a thousand votes last time. For both both of our writings too. Yeah, in Richmond Hill, the guy got last time. The guy got in with like a hundred votes. It was like ridiculously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you two some... are actually some of the more important people in this election. Yeah. Yes. Thank you I'm, I'm, for finally you, recognizing so me. <laughs> uh, so are you guys excited about this election? Because I know I've had both of you on, and you've both been pretty keen to talk about it, be excited. Has the last few weeks lived up to the expectations of the campaign so far? Are we happy? Disappointed? I think this election actually has made me a, have a bit more faith in Canadian politics, because I thought that going into this election, like, I guess me and pretty much the entire Liberal Party thought that it would just be an easy romp in the park for the Liberals. But yeah, let's just put it this way. It's turned into anything but that. Because because I think the issues that actually affect people like me, like affordability and housing, are actually starting to be, like, seriously considered. And it, this election isn't just about, you know, the COVID referendum, which would have been boring for everyone and wouldn't really have solved a lot of the underlying issues in Canada. 
So for me, yes, this election has been very refreshing. Hmm. Do you have the same kind of a philosophical outburst, uh, Sav, as Kevin over here? I don't know. I think that, like, I, I said this before when I was on, but I'm someone who absolutely loves election season. And I know that's probably not uh, a popular opinion, but I think that this this election has just been so lackluster in so many ways for me, just because of, of I'm trying to think of the words that are put together here, but... I never thought that the liberals, to be honest, were going to get a majority, but I think that they were going to get close to it. And what we've seen now is that that is definitely not on the case at all. They're just getting by through the seat of their pants. And it's it's just it's been disappointing for me for this election season, just based off of, to be honest, how much the conservatives have a chance at, at actually gaining power and being the governing party. So I guess in that sense, I'm. I'm I'm a little I'm a little frazzled by it, but but we'll see where it goes. Hmm. I know a lot of people, I guess, who were left leaning, shared your opinion, Sab, which was a bit frightened by the conservative rise. Whereas, I mean, Kevin was a bit happy about the potential benefits it could deliver to him. And a lot of people were saying this liberal upcoming platform will solve all the woes, will rejuvenate the liberal cause. Did that do it when it released? I think it was on Tuesday. Absolutely not. I found that the the platform was lackluster. It was. We know that this liberal this liberal government, the Trudeau government, is a party that is willing to spend, and that has just been the case too with their their newest platform. We know that they're going to spend. They're going to want to spend, but there hasn't been anything new or substantial, which is what I found quite dumbfounding about the platform, especially in a time now where you've. They've had the 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 advantage really of having the NDP platform come out before, the conservative platform come out before, and they they've still not not added anything into it that that would garner this, oh my goodness, wow, this is so different from 2019, 2015, right? It it's it's just for me in particular, I found it to be completely just bland in a lot of ways. And any thoughts as well, Kevin? Because remember, you were the first person to message me about it being out like half an hour after it released. <laughs> I was because I was really looking. I was look. I was looking forward to it, but I agree with Sav. It, it kind of was like a. It kind of was just like a deflated balloon. I thought that the liberal platform would be the thing that would you know switch my vote back to being liberal because I voted for pretty for left wing parties pretty much my entire electoral history. In 2015, I voted for the liberals. In 2019, I voted for the liberals. And in 2018, I voted for the NDP. I I was pretty much, up until this election, I was pretty much like an, a typical anybody but conservative voter. And I was hoping that the liberal platform would, you know, return me to that, my, my natural status. I don't, I don't <laughs> like to change. But the problem is that the liberal platform did nothing for me. Like, I guess there were some kind of okay things in there. Like, you know, like interest on student loans being eliminated is kind of nice, I guess. Although interest on student loans in... in to be honest, is not that high. But other than that, it's like nothing really like like came out to me as something that was I, was I was like, wow, that's really good policy, which is really disappointing from the Liberal Party because the Liberal Party, in my opinion, should be the party that you know has like pragmatic solutions to our problems. And I just didn't really see anything there. It seemed like it seemed like Trudeau was trying to like double down on all this on you know identity stuff, which I, I which is fine, but. I feel like it's going to struggle to earn a lot of people's votes. I think a lot of people are not focused on that this election. This election, they're focused a lot on affordability and 
housing and economic issues. They're looking at that much more than they are, you know, the, the typical culture war stuff. Yeah, I, I really agree with you, Kevin, and Sav as well. I, I think it's been nothing but disappointment. There's been almost no headlines that came out when it released. I know the conservative platform made such a big splash, and the liberals haven't even replicated that. And I think to copy some of the words, which I heard, I think, from the issue panel of this week, which the CBC does, they were basically saying it doesn't connect with any new voters. It simply appeals to existing liberal voters, which is not what they need to do right now, given their polls have been slipping so much. Talking about the polls slipping a lot, last week we did an episode almost entirely dedicated to the conservatives overtaking the liberals in the projected polls. And this week it's kind of held steady. I think it's been about about 5% throughout uh, margins separating the liberals and the conservatives with the conservatives ahead. What do we think of that? What are our thoughts on this? What impacts should this have in this election? And do we expect this to hold? Kevin, do you want to start us off? Well, I like lo- I don't like looking just at the numbers. I like looking at like the cross tabs within the polls. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd like that. <laughs> what I found most interesting, actually, is that I think um I think it was Main Streets, which uh, which is like the most extreme like pro conservative poll right now. So you might want to take this with a grain of salt. But Main Street had support for the liberals among 18 to 34 year olds with like, I think it was like the conservatives and the NDP were tied at like 30 percent each. And then the liberals were bringing up the rear with like 26 percent. I thought that was really, really interesting because usually the conservative, like you would think that the conservatives do terribly among young people. But it seems like this time that's not really the case. I feel like that age group, which all of us are in. Like anecdotally, a lot of my friends are like actually seriously looking at the conservatives right now, mainly because they were just so disappointed with the liberals on housing policy. The liberals have had six years to try and address the uh, increase in housing prices across Canada, and they've done really nothing about it. Like I, I think their go-to excuse is that it's like not a federal issue; it's a municipal issue, which is true. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that you should just abdicate responsibility fully to the to the municipal to, to the municipal governments. So I don't know. I feel like that is actually like a very very heavily unaddressed issue for the liberals, and that's like exacerbated by like some news this week that dropped like of that liberal candidate in BC or something who who uh, had a history of flipping like twenty houses. He, he flipped forty one houses. Forty one for a profit really? of five million dollars, which that's is the impressive. Go- that's impressive. Yeah. forty one houses. The guy must have a keen eye for real estate. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that just reinforces this the, the liberal party as image as like you know the party of holding housing prices high, which I really do not like. Mm. Well, what do you think, Sav? Because you're typically a bit more. I would say you're a bit more le- left leaning than Kevin, right? Did do you think that this shift in the polls is going to stick out for the rest of the election, or do you agree with Kevin's opinions that it's just the liberals flopping? I 100% agree that it is the Liberals flopping. I think Kevin makes really important parts uh, points there about housing in particular for young people. It's something that we've seen time and time again. We all at once were Waterloo students and we know firsthand how the housing market in, in a university city is so incredibly unaffordable for everyday students. And, and again, this is something that persists past university when young adults are going into the workforce. We have so much student debt that we're still in this in this rut of not actually being able to just live in places that are, are accessible and amenable for our needs. I would also say, too, like I, I do find that the, the polling, like I mentioned earlier, that I was quite disturbed by it in many ways, but... 
I think what's really interesting about, I, I always am of the opinion that polling is quite subjective and we won't know until the day comes where September 20th, whether or not the polling is correct, right? So I tend to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, especially at this point in the election. However, I will say the polling in the maritime provinces in Atlantic Canada for the Conservatives has been quite eye-catching for me. I think when we've just seen with the Nova Scotia election where uh, an upset Conservative victory in the province and what a lot of what the 2019 election and the precipice of the of the liberal win was actually based out of Atlantic Canada it's it's going to be quite contentious area and i think that it's it's the liberals in my opinion need to start refocusing a little bit regionally uh where they're campaigning and what they need to do um, and so yeah in terms of the pollings it's it's just Atlantic Canada is a, I think is going to be a bigger factor than we all really realize. Yeah, and I I remember reading for some of the details of the poll as well because I am a bit less of a nerd than Kevin, but still a bit of a poll nerd. But uh, a, b- a big trend is that the shift in polls. So most of the stuff the Conservatives had last election, where they won the popular vote, if we can recall, was from not from extremes within. Atlantic provinces or Ontario or Quebec, it was from within a lot of support within Western Canada. But now what we're seeing is a lot of support being shifted around all of Canada. So instead of the Western provinces being a lot more supportive of the Conservatives, O'Toole seeing support from the Atlantic provinces, as I was saying, Ontario, Quebec, it's really rising up. If I was the Liberals, I would be terrified uh, by the Ontario numbers in particular, because Ontario in the last two elections has been like, the bedrock of liberal support, right? Like, uh, especially in 2019, like, I, I think the liberals had massive decreases in the popular vote everywhere, except for Ontario and Quebec. But those two provinces were enough to carry the liberals in that election. But now in 2021, I see numbers where like the conservatives are leading in Ontario, or like they're tied. And that's really, really concerning, because the liberals really need like the not the GTA firewall, kind of the GTA firewall, the, the outskirts of the GTA firewall, like the 905 area, to hold for them. Because otherwise, the, their path to like even a plurality of seats is getting really rough, especially with, as Sab noted, the numbers in Atlantic Canada. I think, yeah. too, with to like Kevin's point about the 905 area, I think that especially we've seen those past couple elections like Kevin mentioned, the 905 area has become very contentious in terms of conservative or liberal. I'll give the example of the two ridings that Kevin and I are in. My riding is Richmond Hill, Aurora, Oak Ridges, I believe. And we have a liberal, uh, your incumbent is a liberal. My, my incumbent is actually Leona Al- Alvarez, I think is her name. Alslev, Alslev. Yeah. She crossed the floor. So she got elected as a liberal in 2015, crossed the floor, and then got reelected as a conservative. So to Kevin's point, I 100% agree with him that 905 area, the numbers of of how how close these races are has to be uh, one of the biggest stressors along with Atlantic Canada for the Liberal Party. Yeah, I mean, it really inflates your own importance as voters, but I really do see where you two are coming from. (laughs) It's, I, I think these shifts within the Canada's voting sphere, it, it's reminiscent of other elections that went bad when we looked at the polls, right? So as Sab and I were talking about beforehand, this might be remembered not as the great liberal securing a power, but rather the great liberal embarrassment that started off this decade. 
we'll we'll see. Time time can tell. I, I really appreciate Kevin's point. I think in last episode too, where he was saying that in 2019 the polls looked this bleak as well for the liberals at one point in time. So there is hope of bouncing back. And I mean, it didn't bounce back with the platform, but maybe they can bounce back with the debates. So the big news that's coming up is the debates. And on the 8th of September, we're going to have the official French language debate, uh, where I think five of the main leaders will be invited and will be debating. And then on the next day, on the 9th, the Friday, will be the official English language debate, which is the juicy one everybody's going to be tuning into, where the leaders will also be all debating. So for ourselves, the podcast, I'm planning to do episodes surrounding the reactions to both of these, so stay tuned for that. But it's always good to have a little preview to get you like prepped up to know what you should be looking for and what we want you to be looking for. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go through each of the main leaders who will be debating there. And we're going to say what we think they should do or what their strategy should be approaching this debate. So I guess let's start with the leader in the polls, uh, O'Toole, <laughs> just to be nice to him. What do we think the Conservative Party and O'Toole in specific should be doing during this debate? Um, what should O'Toole be doing during this debate? I think the one summary word for O'Toole during this debate is moderate. Like, make himself seem like an extremely, like, centrist red Tory that his campaign, to his enormous credit, has really succeeded in doing so far. And try and deflect any sort of, you know, like, any sort of uh, typical liberal attacks, like, SOCON attacks on him. And pretty much just maintain, because at this point, with the conservative momentum going as it is, it kind of slowed down this week, in my opinion. But honestly, with this lead in the polls, it's probably enough to get like a conservative plurality of seats. Or if O'Toole can really knock him out of the park, and maybe he can, actually. I've never, well, I mean, he has debated in French, right? But like, I, I haven't really seen him debate in English. If O'Toole does have a really good performance, and successfully portrays himself as like you know the sane centrist candidate he could eat the conservatives could easily win a majority in my opinion at this point yeah because i know the reactions there was an unofficial french language debate earlier i caught a few of the highlights despite my french being antiquated at best but um his performance was pretty centrist as you were saying kevin he tried he's tried to stay above everybody and mulcair was official commentator with cdv which is quite cool but mulcair was saying that he seemed to be talking down to everybody which might affect a bit of voters approaching him. So mm-hmm. some commentators were actually saying maybe you should get more involved, be a bit more fiery, a bit more passionate. But it is good to maybe say, do stay in the middle, because it does provide like a strong voice, and that might be his image, you know, as the fixer to this pandemic. Any thoughts as well, Sad? I mean, I, I again, I <laughs> I agree with Kevin and the points that he made there. Um, I, I agree with the idea that he needs to remain, to be honest, I think he just needs to remain calm, cool, and collected. Um, I think the biggest thing that we're going to see with the English debate is that O'Toole is going to get a lot of stuff thrown at him, be it from the Liberals, be it from the NDP. And a lot of it will be scare tactics, right? A lot of what, like what Kevin was saying, like the fodder that the Liberals hand out to O'Toole and the Conservatives about, you don't want the the party that's not about climate change you don't want the the abortion uh conversation to pop up again you don't want the it's all these fodder talking points some of it is true to an extent don't get me wrong he's gonna have to be prepped and ready to be on the defensive and to come back with with witty one-liners that that will really make him stand out so yeah i just i i mostly just agree with uh what kevin was saying it's it's a you make a great point as well, Sab, because there are also some French language interviews where they, uh, I think the 
the TVA, I think that's a French language channel in Quebec. They had interviews of each of the main candidates in French again, which sucked, but um, I respect official language, I, I must say. But they're, they did not hold back whatsoever when asking questions. The first question asked O'Toole was specifically on his climate change policy. And he had a pretty well-constructed answer saying that he is the leader, his party will follow his lead. So he is practicing these things. And it was interesting, too, that their second question was on the abortion debate where they were saying that would he appoint a pro-choice candidate as his minister of health, which he actually dodged a question. But it does say that if this kind of stuff goes during the debate, maybe some of the other parties will profit from his dodging of these a bit more SOCON leaning questions. I would say, though, though I did get to see it. I, I have a few friends that are francophone. I, I am not. But one of the things that was overarching my conversations with them was that a lot of O'Toole's French to begin with is weak. It is <laughs> yes. apparently subpar. And so he just seemed like he was repeating himself. And so to to his defense a little bit there in the French debates, maybe he wasn't able to expand the way that he could in an English debate. However, it'll it'll be very interesting to see how, how he can expand, um, especially on the topic of climate change and abortion um, in the English debates for sure. That's interesting because, it, Simon, you said the French questions were very hard hitting, right? It was in the so, interviews, not the debates, but yes. Yeah, during, during the interviews. I feel like during this campaign so far, O'Toole's been treated with kids' gloves. He hasn't been really been asked like too many tough questions. So if the French interview interviewees are setting a trend, maybe during the English debates and the aftermath, he'll finally get like some tough questions that he'll need to answer in, in front of a language that you know the majority of Canadians speak. And maybe then we could see some movements in the polls. Like, um, I feel like part of O'Toole's into uh, O'Toole's lead right now might be actually because the media have just been you know fawning over the conservatives this time around. So I don't know. It could be interesting if the media are actually like gonna treat the leader in the polls with you know some hard hitting punches. We could maybe see some movement. But I, I will say to play devil's advocate, he has faced some tough questions. Like I mean, the vaccine question was pretty directed at him, but he managed to answer that pretty persuasively during the first few days. Unlike Trudeau and his the reason for his election being called. So maybe it's not him not getting the tough questions, but actually answering them properly, which hasn't created the headlines to put those questions in people's heads in people's heads. I think kind of just to add on to that a little bit, I think one of the biggest questions that O'Toole will get in the English election or English debate will be about climate change and how the majority of the Conservative Party and two thirds of his caucus don't believe in climate change or don't believe in climate policy. And as someone who's leading the party, party discipline is definitely a thing. Don't get me wrong. But if you're if you can't get your party to agree that climate change is a thing, it is real, then I I don't know. I that this is one of the main reasons that I the reason I would never vote conservative, at least in this election, is that they can't even acknowledge that climate change is is real. So that is going to be a real key focal point, I think, for many Canadians to see how he answers that question on behalf of his party. Yeah, because he really needs to inspire trust, right? And I think that's the, the key issue behind this, because the Conservatives have shifted a lot to more these red Tory values, which they have been associated with in the past, especially not under Andrew Scheer. So 
being able to communicate trust to voters, I think that's this key thing he needs to do during this election. I mean, during this debate. And I'm not sure how he does that or how one goes about doing that. So I'll be interested to see in a week or so when we come back to this, to see how well that has gone. I think that's the main thing I want to be looking for. Talking about other, perhaps more exciting people, Trudeau, he's had a tumultuous ride in the polls. How do you think his ride in the debate will be? Sav, do you want to kick us off? I mean, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) I, I think, to be honest, I think it's plain and simple. He's the one who called the snap election election that majority of Canadians don't or do feel is unnecessary and has to really answer for it. He will not get the results that he thought he was going to get when that when he called the election. And so it he'll have to answer for how everything has been handled through the COVID-19 pandemic, the housing situation like we mentioned earlier, his climate change policy that includes I guess buying a pipeline but still wanting to have climate policy as as the main forefront um there's just so much messiness that has been the trudeau campaign or trudeau government and if he doesn't step up and and prove to canadians that this election was necessary and why it's happening again i don't know what to tell you i really don't yeah, I, I think that's true, too. Because for me personally, I'll get to you in a second, Kevin. I don't want to leave you on the sidelines. But I think the one thing I want to look for from Trudeau from this debate is a focal point. I want to know what this, the campaign he's doing is for. Because I thought the focal point started the election was going to be vaccinations and just pandemic response. But that's not sticking. And the, the liberals can't make it stick. So we need a new focal point. It's not going to be housing or like affordability. They haven't shown much progress on that. But what can they promise that will get voters like Sav and Kevin to get back on their tails. They, that focal point, that rallying point that they need. What do you think, Kevin? I 100% agree with you, Simon. They need a big focal point and like a big signature like slogan or policy or something that makes that inspires people to vote for them. Because right now, like I honestly don't really understand what the liberal campaign is about. Like I guess they're kind of, maybe they tried selling the COVID caretaker angle. But it's, again, it's like, I, I don't really see it happening. Like, for, like, I think they actually do need to address issues that voters care about, especially, I think, the affordability issue among people. Like, pe- like people's lives are not getting any easier in Canada. Canada's, like, inflation rates and, like, their, and our, our general consumer price index is, like, not good. And a lot of people are in a lot of debt and people are really struggling out there. And I don't know. I feel like Trudeau actually has the hardest task in this debate because i feel like trudeau he's going to get attacked a lot mainly by virtue of being the sitting prime minister so he's going to get attacked a lot and he needs to play a lot of defense but he also needs to attack a lot himself because he needs to get back a lot of the support he lost to o'toole and Singh. i don't know i feel like he needs to somehow paint aaron o'toole as more radical and scary to most of most voters because that would not only bring some of the uh, the blue liberals back into the liberal camp, it'll also inspire some NDP voters to go like, oh, shoot, if I vote NDP, then O'Toole, the big scary monster O'Toole might get into power. So that needs to be his strategy, I feel like. The issue with doing that, I think, though, is that it relies on a conservative slip up, right? It does. And that's but, I mean, not a great tactic. Well, I mean, at this point, the liberals have already slipped up, slipped up by calling this election, and the conservatives are like, what, like five or six points ahead? Like, 
they need to slip up. Mm. Any final thoughts as well, Sad, before we move on to the NDP? I just I wholeheartedly agree with the whole kind of fear mongering of strategic voting. I think that that's always been a key part as to why the NDP is since 2011 aside, why the NDP is the third party. And so to Kevin's point, and I'll, I suppose I'll expand a little bit more on this when we get to Jugmeet, but that has to be a key aspect in, in this election. And I think it will be in his favor with how the polling is. And he can, he, if he can say that in a way that doesn't devalue the Liberal Party, but also puts out there that this is real and this could happen, um, that'll be the, the ideal situation for Trudeau. Yeah, but it, it does seem like an unlikely one. So yeah. we'll see. But you did mention the NDP, Sab, and I do want to get onto them next because, you know, Jagmeet Singh, he's he was a surprisingly calm and collective presence during the debates in 2019. I think we watched him together, Sab, right? How, yep. how do you think he'll perform this year? Are you optimistic? I am. I think Jagmeet's been doing such a good job. Like, I, I, for, I've never voted NDP. I've only had the pleasure of voting in two elections that won the... First federal election for me was in 2019. I voted liberal and the 2018 provincial Ontario election where I voted liberal too. But he has been doing a great job. I think that he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. The whole part of of a third party is to keep the government in check and to keep the major parties in check about what they're doing, what they're saying, especially as it pertains to climate policy. I think that that's where we're really going to see Jugmeet thrive. But I think that what Jugmeet has to be careful of is not pressing too hard on the liberals to the point where they're, the people are going to flip conservative, but pressing to the point where he gets enough more seats that he can have more skin in the game for a liberal minority government. And so how he walks that fine line will be interesting to see. But what I will also say too is that he should not, and I don't think that he will, campaign on the idea of stop O'Toole because if we saw how much that backfired in 2015, the whole slogan for, for Mulcair's uh, NDP was stop Harper and then a liberal majority came about. So <laughs> uh, again, it's about walking that fine line of of calling out the liberals, but not to the point where where a conservative potential majority, really, because that's still in play, or even a, a conservative minority. And I know, Kevin, you were a bit more skeptical about how the NDP would perform in this election in our predictions episode. And I, I have the liberty of having made one of you. So yep. are, are your expectations high for Jagmeet too? Uh, I like Jagmeet. I think he's a good leader. but And most Canadians actually like him. He has pro- he has the highest favorability ratings out of all the, th- all the, all the leaders, if I'm correct on so, that the polls are weird on this because they all ask different questions which give you different results so i guess i'm, I'm not gonna but i haven't I, looked it up so but i mean i think i mentioned this on a previous episode but i'll say it again here jagmeet's popularity does not correlate with the ndp's popularity i feel like most people are okay with voting for jagmeet singh but they're not okay with voting for the ndp like i think the ndp this elect this election need really needed to shed their image of like being a left-wing party and being more pragmatic with their policies and to be honest, to me, at least, they haven't really done that, so I'm not going to vote for them. Um, as for Jagmeet's strategy, this debate, I think he does need to attack both the Liberals and the Conservatives equally to keep both their support numbers down. Because if he attacks one 
over the other more frequently, then the other might just uh, come up with like with like some sort of majority, and that would be the worst case scenario for the NDP because the NDP would then be a third party in a majority government, which would get almost no say. Whereas in a minority government, as, as things stand, it's very likely that the NDP will be the kingmaker, may, maybe along with the bloc in some situations. But if the liberals get a plurality of the seats, they're most likely going to be working with the NDP as they are, they are in this parliament right now. So we'll probably see no, no change. And if the conservatives get a minority, they'll maybe work with the bloc. So I guess maybe maybe in that case... If Jagmeet's thinking about that, he might want to attack the conservatives more. But it's quite interesting. He he does have an interesting role to play in this debate, but I don't know if he can gain too much from it. It's hard for me to say. I, Although I, I've always been kind of skeptical about the NDP, so I could be biased. I, I think uh, I see both your points because it's funny how you both kind of you both kind of conflict on who do you think Jagmeet should attack more, or where do you think yeah. his I guess the role should lie. And personally, I I feel like if we look at the seats that the NDP are looking to win during this election, most of these are going to come at the expense of the liberals, not the conservatives. And especially, in, I think BC is the big area where they're looking at four or five key liberal ones they want to flip around, maybe even a green riding or two. And mm-hmm. I think that might lead to him being overly critical on Trudeau, perhaps on the climate issues, where still re- retaining those uh, those. I think, social conscientious criticisms on, I think, the conservatives. So I think we'll see, I guess, a split, but I, mean, but I think his critiques might be directed specifically at one person on this topic, but specifically another on this topic. Yeah, uh, but the seat number for the NDP, I feel like, is kind of less relevant because the NDP, I mean, l- let's be honest here, the NDP, I don't think, are going to be <laughs> coming close to forming government this time around. Yeah. <laughs> so for the NDP, like, is it that preferable to win, like, say, like 50 seats or something, which would be their second best performance ever, but they win 50 seats in a scenario where either the liberals or conservatives win a majority? Or would they prefer to win something like 20 seats, but have but be the in the kingmaker position? for either the Liberals or the Conservatives. Honestly, if I was the NDP, I would prefer the second option. I would prefer to win less seats, but have them have either party be in a minority because then they'll be forced to come to you and make policy concessions to you, which is your entire job as a party. Like to me, to me, the NDP doesn't matter if they win like 50 or 60 seats if someone wins a majority. So I don't know. I feel like the NDP as a, as a strategy should probably maybe be looking to keep other parties' support down rather than increase <laughs> their own support, which uh, is quite interesting. Any thoughts on that too, Sav? Because if I had a point you wanted to make. I mean, I think that that would definitely be an interesting uh, campaign strategy, but it's definitely one that the NDP is not doing at the moment. Um, I think when we look into to BC in particular and what polling looks like there, conservatives are currently in the lead in BC, which I find very interesting, um, especially given the fact of how the NDP does very favorably well out there. So I again, like I think it's going to be it's the NDP are, are such a wild card and such an important part of of what could actually happen. And like you were saying before, the the NDP are really just looking to take liberal seats, which to Kevin's point exactly will probably end up hurting them more than helping them. So it's it's really a toss up though, because if in the sense that like let's say that conservatives actually end up taking liberal seats in bc where does that leave the ndp because the ndp let's be honest they're not getting any more seats in quebec quebec is a no-go for them so where are these seats going to come from and 
is it a potential that the conservatives can actually maybe take some NDP seats in BC? Um, so I don't know. It's something that we'll have to see and look out for for sure. But yeah, I agree with Kevin's point again that they should probably probably stick to maybe attacking the conservatives a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's also I think it's also important to look to the past a bit. I think for the 2019 election, they won in every regard except for seat count because their popularity increased, their leader increased, but their seats went down massively. They're technically the fourth largest party behind the Bloc Bequois. And I think that does hurt because post-election, the narrative was that every outlet had was, oh, why did the NDP flop so much? And it's only linked to seat counts, not on the other aspects of the party. So I think maybe they might come with a vengeance and try to poach seats just to have more seats to like show that they are the third party. Yeah, but know. like, I don't know. I, I like looking at politics more from like a policy point of view. And yes, the NDP lost a lot of seats in 2019, but the N- NDP gained a lot of power in 2019 because they were the kingmaker for the liberals. And because of that, they were able to get liberals to pass a lot of like NDP friendly policies. So from that standpoint, the NDP have probably been the most powerful they've been in decade in decades. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't really like just looking purely at seat count, although I do agree that seat count is an important barometer for uh, a party's popularity. I do think that's interesting, though, because it kind of goes back to what uh, you guys made a point of earlier about how the popularity of Jugmeet Singh amongst Canadians is high, but not necessarily with the end, not necessarily the party itself. And so I think it'll be interesting to see that if the seat totals and the seat counts don't go up for the NDP in this election, does that come into question again, Jugmeet Singh's leadership within the party? So it'll be a very interesting juxtaposition of, yes, we might have more power if if we end up losing or maintaining the seats that we have in a liberal minority government. But what does that actually mean for the popularity and the growth of the party and the leadership of Jugmeet? Talking about distraught leaderships, maybe we should move on to the Green Party. That was a great transition. Come on. <laughs> Gotta give it up. <laughs> that was pretty good. Fair enough. Uh, so always joked about the Green Party just throughout our episodes here because they have been a bit distraught. And we did a full episode, 50-minute episode covering their failures lately. But, I mean, Annamie Paul, she seems like a capable debater. What do you expect from her, Kevin? Do you think she'll take her moment of glory and achieve something with it? Oh, man, this is interesting because I actually don't really know what to expect from Annamie Paul this, de- this debate. Maybe I think... The best thing she can do this debate is make herself seem like a serious party leader. Because at this moment, that's what I'm questioning. I'm not questioning, like, the Green Party's policies and stuff anymore. I'm questioning whether the Green Party is even, like, an effective organization anymore. Because right now, it seems like they're collapsing on all fronts. Do they even have a platform released? I don't know if they do. Like, nope. I, don't, I don't think so. Like, I haven't heard any sort of policy proposals from the Green Party. Or to, any to quote sort of... the Green Party, uh, when asked what their platform was, Annemie Paul said, just Google it. So, <laughs> but yes, all right. Yeah, I, I guess that kind of sums up the Green Party this election. The Green Party, I think, is I think they can't hope to gain any more support this election. I'd be very surprised if they did. I hope I think the best case scenario for them is to hold on to what they have, and to do that, Green Annamie Paul needs to just make herself seem like a serious leader because all the indications right now make it seem like she doesn't. Seth, you're a bit more, I think motivated to represent them favorably here what, what what would you say to kevin's points here i feel actually in 
in contrast, I feel motivated to rip them apart right now. Um, <laughs> May I remind you that Sav uh, volunteers for the Green Party in their communications division, right? Oh, really? Yeah. So I've been I've been working on the um, Toronto Center campaign for Anime Paul, and it's been it's been very interesting. But what I can or will say is that I what has happened in the past months has been extremely disappointing for the growth and prosperity of the Green Party. It wasn't it wasn't that long ago where the by-election occurred. Uh, Marcy Yin won the Liberal stronghold, but not by much. She was only off by thousands of votes, which is not a lot, especially in Toronto Centre. And we saw Annamie Paul emerge as this potential candidate to overthrow such a key part in Toronto Liberal politics. And the, what's been happening and occurring these past couple of months has completely derailed any real momentum that was made before. And it's so unfortunate to see. And so when we see Annamie Paul speak and do all these these press conferences all the time, and the most recent one, she endorsed the Liberals. She I told people I... to go and vote for the Liberals. And I'm, you know, I sit here and I'm saying, I... We need you. We want you. I want you. But what are you doing? It's it's incredibly disappointing. Enemy Paul is someone who has has is went to law school for U, uh, University of Ottawa, who got a master's degree in public policy. I believe it's public policy from Princeton. She founded her own organizations and NGOs to try to get more black women and black people into politics and has been a part of so many international human rights organizations. She lived in Barcelona because she can speak five different languages. She worked for the International Criminal Courts. She is a very astute individual. And when you speak with her, you see it. But what has happened to this party has been unfathomable. And so the only thing that I can say that Anime Paul needs to do is one, that she needs to hold her ground. I think we've seen this in the past with Elizabeth May in, in debates where a lot of the, the top three dismiss her. Um, so one, she needs to hold her ground. And two, she really needs to reinforce. The whole goal of the Green Party right now is to win Toronto Center. That is the whole goal. We know that it is more than likely that Elizabeth May will win in uh, out in BC. Paul Manley, unlikely to be reelected. If Anime Paul and the Green Party want to move forward and and want to stay relevant in Canadian politics, she needs to win her seat. That is the bare minimum of what the Green Party needs right now, and she needs to win her seat. And to be honest, at this point, I'm very doubtful that that's going to happen. So as it pertains to the debate, she needs to make it well known of who she is, stand her ground, have a freaking platform released before then, um, and and really drive home that she is a representative of, of Toronto Centre. She was born there. She grew up there. It's it's she just needs to hit it home sorry i went on a wee bit of a tangent there but no no i really like that passion and i will add to that because like in 2019 i felt like the end the green party had serious momentum on their side they pulled over a million votes in 2019 which is a lot and they won they had like 
they had they had growth in support bases like not just in their BC heartland but in Ontario as well although they didn't win in Atl- seats in Atlantic Canada and Atlantic Canada like yep. they want they they want a seat in Atlantic Canada which I never thought would have happened and I'll be honest if there was a ra- if there was a ranked choice ballot in 2019 I probably would have put Green Party as my second choice but nowadays the Green Party just doesn't seem like a serious organization to me anymore and I wouldn't consider voting for them <laughs> I think that was Very my sad. whole that was my whole thing too is that I've always said I've always been like if I thought that the Green Party in the first past the post system could actually have a chance I would vote green. And so that's one of the main reasons why I decided to go and volunteer for the parties because I saw that oh shit like we have a chance here. Like this could be something something big that I want to be a part of. And again it's all this momentum we saw in Atlantic Canada that even on the provincial level that the Greens were making such large strides and then it's just it's can you take the party seriously it's exactly what Kevin's saying right and I oh I feel so freaking defeated (laughs) a lot of times about this but I'm so critical of the party, like in particular of the Green Party, having volunteered for it. It is, it's, oh, wanted to happen, but oh, right. I'll, I'll I, I think we should move on to uh, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. I was gonna say, I'll save you any further um, exasperation, Sab, and we should talk about the yeah, Bloc Bequois, our favorite fiery counterparts to the to the east. So, Yves Francois Blanchette. My favorite candidate, I think, right now. I don't know why. I just like the man. But uh, <laughs> how do you think he should do? Because I really loved his performances in the 2019 debate. What do we think he should be doing? You want to kick us off, Kevin? <laughs> I mean, the Bloc Québécois and the I English left him for language. last for a reason, so. <laughs> <laughs> the Bloc Québécois and the English language debates. Like, I've watched a lot of the English. I, I think every single election season I've watched, even since like since like 2006, even. I'll be honest. Like, every single time, I always just get the impression that they're just there to, like, stir stuff up. And, you know, like, I feel like they don't take the English debate as seriously as they would the French debate, which I guess is their prerogative since, you know, they they represent a mostly French-speaking province. For, I I guess they could be there to serve an interesting role as kind of like, kind of like a a party that, like, Yves, Yves Francois Blanchet should probably look to, like, you know, instigate stuff because I feel like, infighting among the other parties will probably benefit him the most in Quebec and infighting among the other parties would also maybe lead to a situation where the Bloc Québécois could actually gain concessions for Quebec because that's kind of the point of their party right and then I guess their situation would be similar to the NDP in that they kind of want to balance their attacks maybe more towards the liberals because the conservatives don't really have much of a presence in Quebec maybe attack the liberals a bit more just to ensure that a liberal majority is out of the question, but not too much to the extent that it will make voters flip to the conservatives and vote, vote, vote for a conservative majority. Honestly, I'm not too well informed about the Bloc Québécois, so I can't really comment more, but if I was Yves-Francois Blanchet, that's what I would do. Hmm. What would you do if you were Yves-Francois Blanchet, Sav? <laughs> a good question um one i think if i was eve's francois blanchette that i would actually be able to say my own name properly um um, i think the block is in a very interesting situation i think kevin really alluded to it there though is that the real main competitor in quebec for the block is the liberals and we're seeing that the liberals are actually doing quite favorably well there 
And what we've also seen, I've and I've heard through word of mouth and reading some articles, is that Blanchette's popularity has actually quite significantly decreased as of late. And and I've heard uh, through uh, some sources, and I believe it was the at issue with CBC, is that that there's been much messiness uh, with the block in Quebec, and that that has not in the so-called, you know. Simon, I know you love him because he's very like a suave type of guy, but a lot of Quebec voters, to my understanding, have perceived that as being quite arrogant in a lot of ways. So I I think what the the Bloc really had going for them in, in 2019, and I, forgive me because I, I don't know the exact bill number. I think we spoke about it I last time. C16 or C18. Uh, something like that the secularism bill in quebec is that that was such a main proponent as to in my opinion as to why the bloc did as well as they did and because we don't see that is not the pinnacle of the conversation with the bloc or with canadian politics at the moment i think that that's where we're really going to see a dip there's no there's no focal point saying this is a quebec issue and and again, like they have the liberals have so much popularity in Quebec. So it, it I think Trudeau will definitely try to appease a lot of Quebec voters in order to try to save what will be lost and potentially in Atlantic Canada. But we I think we will see uh Blanchet get a little dicey with uh with Trudeau. But um yeah, I think overall it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one. I, I one of the key things that I remember from from the last election as it pertains to Yves-Francois Blanchette is that's a your constitution, not mine. So <laughs> <laughs> if he sticks to that, then maybe it'll work for him. I just want a few more memorable one-liners. That's all I want from him. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, he's got the voice for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I will also predict him to be the best dressed at that debate. Did you see that they have O'Toole wearing, like, not formal dress shoes, but, like, sneakers to make him look really? more cool and popular? Maybe yeah, it's just... They're really trying to make him look hip, eh? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up in jeans to debates. Sav has got a disgusted frown right now. <laughs> I'm like, if I see him wearing, like, Air Force Ones or something, like, that, I'm just... I and you can't. know he's going to mess it up by wearing black ones, too. Just, you know, that's the kind of thing the conservatives would do. <laughs> but anyways... Uh, so I think we've kind of reached the end of our debate preview. I was going to touch upon the PPC, but we're going for about 50 minutes and, you know, we're going to exclude them too as debates did. So let's move on from that. <laughs> so uh, final thoughts. I just want to ask you, how do you think, or how do you predict these debates will influence your votes or how do you, how is it going to influence the campaign on the final week that's left after debates? What do you think the impact's going to be? Well, it's kind of difficult to predict right now because I think a lot of the times debates, like they tend to rely on like a few viral moments that don't really become apparent until after the day debate has happened. So in 2015, I'll give an example. I think in 2015, Mulcair was uh, hounding Trudeau. And at one point, Trudeau was just stared at the camera and said, I have a number for you, Tom. The number is like nine or something. And that that moment really resonated with the Canadian people because that was the moment that Trudeau actually showed that he was serious and not just like a pretty boy face, right? In 2019, I'm not really sure if the debates actually changed that much. I'm not, I can't really remember any sort of viral moment that really impacted the polls in a substantial way. And I don't even remember. I don't think the, the debates did impact the polls in a hugely su- substantial way. 
there, there were some like minor increases in NDP support and some also yeah. some increases in green support because May did very well. And then mm-hmm. Bernier also really made his name known. Um, oh. But beyond that, not, nothing on the major candidates. Uh, I have a gut feeling, though, that this debate will see a viral moment because this debate, I feel like Trudeau is going to go out all guns blazing against O'Toole. That's my official prediction. He, he has to or else he's not going to win. There's no way he will win. And he will go down as in history as a prime minister who stupidly called an election for no reason and then lost his own job because of it. So he has to do that. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Sab? Are you as hoping for such a for a spectacle as Kevin is? I think it's 100% going to be a spectacle, a spectacle, and it's purely based off the fact that the conservatives are leading in the polls right now. I think that this debate or these upcoming debates, it's it's going to be an all or nothing for everybody involved. We're going to see it from the block. We're going to see it from the Green Party. Well, <laughs> we're going to see it, but we're definitely going to see it from the liberals. And like like Kevin was saying, this is do or die. So and and people will be tuned in. This is the biggest thing. People will be glued to their screens watching this debate. Whereas in the twenty nineteen election, that maybe necessarily wasn't wasn't as popular. But this is an election that again, majority of Canadians feel is unnecessary. And the debate is where they're going to find and see what those answers are. So expect a lot and expect to have a good time grab some popcorn hang out for a little bit enjoy the show but it's uh it's definitely gonna be one for the books yeah and i guess if you want to hear us hang out i'm hoping to do a live reaction debate so i think kevin hopefully will show up um hopefully <laughs> i said you're welcome too but i don't know if you do anything with the, the poli sci people at waterloo so I don't know, I don't know about the debates, but I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have something going on. And I think a few minutes after the French, French language debate, I'm also going to re- record a reaction with some of my fellow more Francophone-leaning compatriots. So yeah, that kind of brings us to close. I hope you got a good preview on the debates. But before we end, I have one personal question, which I always finish with. Ah. And this one is a bit debate-centric. So you can choose anyone, and I say anyone, to moderate the debate. Who would it be? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Because there's several ways to take it. You can do it as, like, somebody who's going to be extremely competent. Like, I don't know, like like a Peter Mansbridge kind of character. Oh, or, so boring. Or you could go the fun way, as Kevin is alluding to. Hmm. See, oh, I was man, kind of leaning, as, a, as an avid political science student, I thought it'd be fun to see a former prime minister moderate a debate. Oh, that's a good shot. Because I was thinking, I mean, Harper might not be the most enticing person, but it would be very, (laughs) it would be very interesting to see kind of how he'd handle it. Or maybe even Mulcair do it, because I've enjoyed his commentary for CTV so so, so far. So I agree. I was going to say, mine was a toss up, but I was going to say, if you wanted to form a prime minister, I wonder what Paul Martin would would be like moderating that that type of um, type of debate. I feel like Jean Chrétien would be really interesting, actually. He he has. He, I feel like out of all the former prime ministers, he had the most personality. The guy gonna... nearly choked on. The guy nearly choked some guy at a campaign rally for Christ's sake. I was gonna say you can't like I know Kim Campbell's still kicking it, but you can't really have her. <laughs> I saw. I was looking at my rival yep. podcast on like YouTube, and some podcast had like ninety views and interviewed her, and I'm like, I could totally get her on for this. <laughs> probably you should probably. you should try yeah i but, saw that she was uh, she did some like 
something like promoting it was like women in politics panel and she it was like basically it was like this podcast thing where like they were promoting this book that was kind of coming out or whatever but yeah like it seems quite feasible (laughs) but I, i was also thinking you could also invite a foreign former head of state so maybe have like an obama make a you know fresh appearance churchill yeah but that wouldn't be relevant for canada then would it like people would love it all right if, if you want my serious answer i would say chantal hebert because she's fantastic mm. oh yeah i really well, like her and she and she will ask hard hitting questions to everyone i guarantee you like i will I feel, bet the house on that i feel like chantal i love chantal don't get me wrong but i feel like chantal would just want to go off every two seconds yeah, exactly. Mm. Like, I feel like she should her... walk out by the end. Like if if something happened, like like a Bernier from last time, she would just leave. <laughs> but I, you see her during at issue when they're like, Althea, it's your turn to talk," and she's like, <sighs> and you just see her there. And she's like, "Just let me talk. Just let me talk." <laughs> but it's an interesting answer. Yeah. I would say mine though, definitively, I would have Mark Hamill uh, be the moderator. Ooh. Oh my god, that, that could... man just. Let him loose. Have a good time. <laughs> what was your non-serious answer, Kevin? Because you alluded to having one as well. Oh, my non-serious answer. Like, could you could you imagine Trump moderating a debate? <laughs> I guess that, that would be like a non-serious answer for me. But like, I was thinking that would like, be such a bad bad idea that it would be so bad it'd be good. I mean, get like a Kanye to do some or, album promo or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah or, or Drake. Drake could moderate it. I feel True. like he'd do a fantastic job. He'd be like, that would be like kind of like the promo part of his like certified lover boy, right? Mm-hmm. Just came out. He'd be like, yo, catch me at the debates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that's a good sentiment of Levon. You should catch us at the debates too. Well, it's been great having you guys on. I'm sure they'll hear your voices again sometime because you guys are good voices to have on this podcast. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more of this podcast, uh, feel free to subscribe, like, leave a comment, send, shoot me an email, tell me how much you appreciate it. Um, our next episode should be out sometime in the very near future. I'm thinking in a day or two, and we might do a special one looking at why Trudeau's popularity is falling. If not, our next episode will be on the debates. So our schedule is lined up and we're, we're jam-packed. And as always, my sanity is slowly depleting over these last few, last few weeks. So we'll see where <laughs> it gets us. No, but anyways, two more weeks. Yeah, two more weeks. And then all the post-election stuff, which I've signed myself up to, I guess. That is true. (laughs) We'll we'll see. We'll see. Anyways, it's been a blast having you guys on. And yeah, till next time then. Bye. Bye. Bye.